At Gospel Community Church, our mission is to know the Bible, share life with others, and bring hope to our city and the world. You're listening to the Gospel Community Church Sermons Podcast, where we go through books of the Bible, verse by verse and line by line, to hear the truth that God's Word has to encourage, discipline, and bless us in our daily lives. Thanks for listening. Feel free to share the contents of this podcast, but please do not alter it in any way without permission. Please like, follow, and subscribe to us on Facebook or iTunes. Visit gospelcc.com for more content like this. At Gospel Community Church, our mission is to know the Bible, share life with others, and bring hope to our city and the world. Thanks again and have a blessed day. Good morning. My name is Kurt McDonald. Uh, I am the teaching and preaching pastor here at Gospel Community Church. And uh, if this is your first time or you're, you're new here with us, uh, I just want to welcome you and say thanks for being with us. Um, we have already been praying for you, and, and we're really, really glad uh, that you're here. Obviously, this morning, uh, we have a large, a large amount of text to get through uh, and a lot of work to do. And so uh, we're going to dive straight in, if that's all right with you. Is that good? Can we just get straight to work? The question I'd like to begin with this morning is this, what are you afraid of? What are you afraid of? I'll just read some of these, and and maybe these resound with you. Maybe you can uh, check the box on a few of these fears. I'm afraid. I'm afraid that at the end of the month, there's not going to be enough money in our account. I'm afraid that we're going to have to put another bill on the credit card and go further into debt. I'm, I'm terrified of our financial situation. I'm afraid. I'm afraid of screwing up my kids. I'm afraid of being a bad parent, and I'm, I'm terrified at the world in which they're growing up in. I'm afraid I might lose my job. I'm afraid of having to find another career, and, and I'm terrified of not having the necessary skills to actually make it in the job market. I'm afraid of being honest with my husband about what's really going on. I'm afraid my wife is going to discover what I've been looking at on the internet. I'm afraid that I... No one is going to accept me if they know the real me. I'm afraid I'll never find someone and that I'll just always be alone. How about this one? I'm afraid I'm going to fail. I'm comfortable with the way that things are going, and my deepest fear is that things are going to change. Or this last one, I'm afraid I'm going to make a royal mess of the whole thing. What are you afraid of? What are you afraid of? What, what are your fears? I wonder if any of those sound like you. I, I checked the box on a couple of those, I'll be honest. I wonder if any of those sound like you. And so obviously this morning we're going to be talking about fear. And, and let, me just, let me just give this away to you right up front. The point of the sermon this morning is not don't ever be afraid. That is not the point of the sermon. While we are going to be talking about fear, you might assume that the sermon, you know, the end, the the big takeaway, the go home is, is I'm going to stand on the stage. I'm going to say, don't ever be afraid. Well, that's not, that's not it at all. There, there's actually really good fear, good fear that, that we should have. See, when, when I'm not uh, doing church stuff, I, I love to, to work with wood and, and um, several times a week I'm running a table saw. Let me tell you, there is an appropriate fear when running the table saw, right? So, so there is fear that leads to danger and death and distress and destruction, but there is also very healthy fear and good fear that we should have. And so the point of the sermon is not, don't ever be afraid. There is healthy fear, fear that is good. So you are afraid of lung cancer, so you don't smoke. You're afraid of a bad economy, so you save money. You're afraid of hurting your spouse, and so you are more tender in your communication. Those are healthy fears. Those are good fears. But there are also unhealthy fears like this. You fear losing approval of someone, and so you're afraid to point out their unhealthy habits. Or how about this fear? You're afraid of being hurt, and so you push everyone away. 
You fear not having enough, and so you refuse to be generous. Those are unhealthy fears. Listen to what Jesus has to say about fear in Matthew 10, 28 through 30. He says this, and do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Jesus is communicating this to his disciples who are going to be persecuted for their beliefs, for following him. And and what he's saying to them is do not fear those who can kill the body, but cannot fear the soul kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? Are not one of them the fall to the ground apart from your father? But even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, therefore, you are of more value than many sparrows. What's Jesus communicating here? Uh, In the beginning, in verse 28, he says, do not fear, but then he says, rather, fear him. So he's saying, don't, don't fear people who can kill the body. That's not important. But you should have healthy or appropriate fear for God. Why? Because God is a terrifying God. Listen, I, I believe God is a God of love. That is clear from the scripture. But what is also clear from the scripture is that God is a God of wrath. And so there should be an appropriate and healthy fear. But you see, what Jesus calls God is your father. Did you see that at the end of verse 28 or 29? But even the hairs of your head are numbered. So what is Jesus saying? He's saying, fear God unless God is your father. Listen to this. If you're taking notes, jot this down. We must learn to only fear the things that are actually scary. We must learn to fear only the things that are actually scary. Isn't this what we're constantly trying to teach our children? We, we just came out of this season of, of potty training, right? Potty training. Tally, my little Tally, terrified of the potty. Like, baby girl, there's, there's not, I'm communicating. There, you should not be afraid of the potty. The potty is not scary. On the other hand, when we walk out of Publix, Tally likes to go darting through the parking lot. And so I snap my fingers and say, get over here, little girl. And, and I bend down, and I, we look at these giant SUVs that are driving by in the cars, and I say, you see those? You are a little tiny munchkin. They are not looking for you. You need to be afraid of this. So I'm communicating to her, Here's the, the, don't be afraid of the potty, okay? Be afraid of SUVs that are driving by that can't see you. So if we as parents are communicating to our children, these are unhealthy fears that you have, and and this is a healthy fear that you should have, how much more is our Heavenly Father trying to communicate the same thing to us? These are unhealthy fears that you have. You need to not be afraid of this, but over here are healthy fears that you should have. This is what God is speaking to us. Think about how different your life would be if you only feared the things that were truly scary. I mean, just think about how, how different your life would be if you went through life only being afraid of the things that you should be afraid of. I'm telling you, friends, I think our lives would be radically, radically different if we only feared the things that were actually scary. And here's the key to doing this. I'm giving the whole sermon away up front. Here's the key. The point of this is to only fear the things that are scary, actually scary. And here's the key to doing that. The key to doing that is believing the gospel. It is believing the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is the key to only fearing the things that are actually scary. Believing the gospel and applying the gospel to your life. So every person in this room fears losing the approval of someone. Okay, that's given across the board. Okay, myself included. Everyone fears losing the approval of someone. But what if in that moment you told yourself, because of the death of Jesus Christ on the cross, I have full acceptance by the Heavenly Father? Well, then that robs the fear of losing the approval of that person because you know that you're accepted by God. Do you see how believing the gospel just rids you of that of that fear? What if every time you had financial fears, you said, because of Jesus' death on the cross, I now belong to the Father and my heavenly Father owns everything? See how that robs you of of that fear and anxiety when it comes to finances? He'll take care of me. And on on the other side of the coin, on the side of proper fear, what if you said, I'm terrified of not having a healthy marriage? So, because of Jesus' example of selflessly giving himself on the cross, I'm going to selflessly give myself to my spouse. 
That's gospel application, church family. You guys still with me? <clears throat> That's gospel application. I'm, I'm terrified that my kids will grow up in a home where we say that we're Christians, but they don't see it lived out. I'm terrified of that. I'm terrified of that. So what we do is because of the gospel, because of Jesus' sacrifice on the cross, we live a sacrificial life to Christ and our children see us model that. See how this gospel application ends up robbing us of our inappropriate and unhealthy fears. We've been traveling through this book of 1 Samuel, and that's kind of our, our way. That's, that's what we do here at Gospel Community Church. We just preach straight through books of the Bible, verse by verse, line by line, chapter by chapter. Uh, this week, we find ourselves in 1 Samuel chapter 20, and God willing, we'll get through all 42 verses, uh, hopefully before dinner tonight. So go ahead and open up your Bibles to that passage, and, and we're going to just work our way through it, and we're going to see these three main characters uh, found in this chapter, these three main characters um, who all are afraid. All three of them are afraid. Only one of them has appropriate fear. The other two have unhealthy fear. You see, David is terrified of Saul. He's, he is terrified. What has happened is David has been anointed king. The problem is um, Saul is actually the current active king. And so though God has chosen David and David is the anointed king, he is not yet king. And Saul is doing everything in his power to kill David, to get rid of David, to get him out of the way so that his kingdom is not overthrown. So David is terrified of Saul. He's afraid he's going to kill him. Jonathan is actually afraid of David, and we're going to see that. But his fear is a righteous fear. It's a good fear. It's a healthy fear. And we're also going to see that Saul is also afraid of David, but his fear is, is unhealthy, unhealthy fear. 1 Samuel chapter 20, verse 1. Then David fled from Naioth and Ramah. If you're here with us last week, you know that's where Samuel the prophet was. And so David had fled um, from the, the flying spears of Saul uh, to, to find refuge with um, the great prophet in Ramah. And uh, what had happened is um, essentially Saul became incapacitated by the Spirit of God. And uh, David is taking this opportunity to get out of there while Saul is laying face down. Then David fled to Nioth and Ramah, and he came and said before Jonathan, What have I done? What is my guilt? And what is my sin before your father that he seeks my life? And he said to him, Far from it, you shall not die. Behold, my father does nothing, either great or small, without disclosing it to me. And why should my father hide this from me? It is not so. But David vowed again, saying, Your father knows well that I have found favor in your eyes. And he thinks, Do not let Jonathan know this lest he be grieved. But truly, as the Lord lives, as your soul lives, there is but a step between me and death. He goes to his dear friend, Jonathan. We saw this friendship begin to develop um, in, in the previous chapters, that these men are best friends. And it just so happens by the providence and the plan of God that David's best friend happens to be the king's son, the king who wants to kill him. So he goes to his best friend and he, and he says, I, I, your dad is trying to kill me. I don't understand. Have I, what did I do? What did I do that, that he wants to kill me? And, and Jonathan is, is taken aback by this. He's confused. No, no, no. You don't understand. Dad, my dad's not trying to kill you. As a matter of fact, if you remember uh, just in the previous chapter, in, in chapter 19, Jonathan had went to his dad and, and, and basically said, don't kill David. You got no reason to. And Saul swore an oath saying, all right, I won't kill him. He promised. And so it, apparently Jonathan has been unaware of everything else that has gone on. So after Saul made that oath, what happened? Uh, well, um, <laughs> he kind of sent a hit squad to his house to take him out. After that, David escaped, and uh, well, Saul sent three different groups of kidnappers to try to capture David and kill him. Oh, that was, that was before he threw a spear at his face. 
You know, so like Saul's got this one track mind, but apparently Jonathan is kind of unaware. And so David uh, in, in this expression is trying to explain to him, no, no, you don't get it. Your dad is really trying to kill me. Listen to what he says. He says, there is but a step between me and death. David is terrified. He is absolutely afraid, terrified, and does not know what to do or which way to go. Now, think about this. After all of these attempts on David's life, why is he still alive? (laughs) Because the sovereign, powerful hand of God has been protecting him. That's why. Because he's God's chosen. He's God's anointed. So the reality is there is no way No way that David is going to die. There's no way that King Saul is going to kill him. We asked this question last week. He is God's chosen. So what are the chances that David is going to become king? 100%. (laughs) There is a 100% chance that David is going to become king, which means there's no way that Saul can kill him. The truth is David is being scared of something that he does not need to be scared of. Again, what happened to this great fearless giant slayer who who had only healthy fear of God and not an unhealthy fear of man? Well, he's no longer that. If you're taking notes, jot this down, down. Unhealthy fear is a testament to a lack of trust in God. Unhealthy fear is a testament to a lack of trust in God. See, when you're freaking out about your finances, when you're freaking out about the economy, when you're freaking out about ridiculous things, you know what that says? It says, God, I do not trust you. I do not think you're in control. I do not believe you're all powerful. I do not believe that you're gonna make good on your promises. That's essentially what we're saying when we're freaking out. That, that's, what that, that's what that means. Unhealthy fear says, I'm not sure God has this under control. Unhealthy fear says, I'm not sure God has my best interest in mind. Unhealthy fear says, I'm not sure God is going to make good on his promises. It's only when we step into healthy fear, appropriate fear, and we say, God, it's in your hands. I trust you. I'm going to follow you. I'm not afraid of what's going to happen to me. I know that you have my best interest in mind and you will protect me. Let's continue on verse four. Then Jonathan said to David, whatever you say, I will do for you. David said to Jonathan, behold, tomorrow is the new moon. Now the Jewish calendar uh, basically holds festivals and feasts around uh, the, the moon calendar. So that's what's happening here. And I should not fail to sit at table with the king But let me go that I may hide myself in the field till the third day at evening. If your father misses me, then say, David earnestly asked leave of me to run to Bethlehem, his city, for there is a yearly sacrifice there for all the clan. If he says good, it will be well with your servant. But if he is angry, then know that harm is determined by him. Therefore, deal kindly with your servant, for you have brought your servant into a covenant with the Lord with you. But if there is guilt in me, kill me yourself, for why should you bring me to your father. So here, here is the plan that, that, that they're devising. Again, they're kind of in this middle place to where David is certain. He's terrified. He, he's certain that Saul wants to kill him. And Jonathan's like, I don't really think so. So they, they've devised this plan. And here's the plan. The plan is to discover where Saul is at by his reaction to David's absence. There's going to be the feast. And if he's not there, how will Saul react? Maybe Saul has gotten over this. Maybe the Lord has changed his heart or, or maybe not. Maybe he's still planning to kill David. So they will be able to tell by Saul's response. So if Saul says something like, oh, good, I love David. I'm glad David is spending some time with his family in Bethlehem, right? Then they'll know, okay, cool, he's not going to kill him. But if Saul says, are you kidding me? I hate David and I want him here so I can kill him the first chance I get, then they'll know. Then they'll know what's, what's going on. Now, I want to say this. The Bible records what happens. We must understand the difference between prescription and description. Okay, this is very important. As I have talked to skeptics and non-believers, I get get this all the time. They'll, they'll They'll say silly things 
like, you know, the Old Testament um, is, is actually for polygamy. Like, no, it's actually not. It tells stories of people who had multiple wives. But listen, every time that happened, it goes really bad. So just because it says something happened doesn't mean that that's what we should do. What's happening here is David is asking his friend to do what? To lie. He's asking his friend to tell a lie. He's so scared. He's so terrified. Now, again, can we come up with justifications of like why this is okay? I mean, this is a life or death matter. Saul's going to kill him. They have to tell this lie. Okay, at the end of the day, it's still a lie. It's still a lie. He's still asking his friend to lie because he's not going to go to Bethlehem and have a feast with his family. He's going to be hiding in the field, and he's asking Jonathan to tell his father a lie. David is so scared and so terrified that that's exactly what he's asking his friend to do. He's asking his friend to lie. Now, aside from that, We've got to see what's actually going on beneath the surface. I mean, it, it, it's incredible. Then Jonathan said to David, I'm back in verse 4, whatever you say, I will do for you. And then, I mean, it's David then calls himself Jonathan's servant. I mean, there's this, this mutual friendship submission that, that these men really do love each other. And so though they're planning to do something stupid that they shouldn't do, David is driven to do this out of fear, but this deep bond and this deep friendship is still very, very apparent in the text. Verse 9, and Jonathan said, far be it from you, I know, if I know that is determined by my father that harm should come to you, would I not tell you? Then David said to Jonathan, who will tell me if your father answers roughly? And Jonathan said to David, come, let us go out into the field. So they both went out into the field. And so essentially what's happening here is they're trying to, to get their secret scheme down. And so they're likely standing like in some public place. And so it's like, let, let's go out into the field. Let's go away so that no one can hear us, so that no one can hear what's going on. Verse 12. And Jonathan said to David, the Lord, the God of Israel, be witness. When I have sounded out my father about this time tomorrow on the third day, behold, if he is well disposed towards David, shall I not then sin and disclose it to you? But should it please my father to do you harm, the Lord do so to Jonathan, and more also if I do not disclose it to you and send you away that uh, you may go in safety. Listen, listen to this. May the Lord be with you as he has been with my father. If I am still alive, show me the steadfast love of the Lord that I may not die. And do not cut off your steadfast love from, the, from my house forever when the Lord cuts off every one of the enemies of David from the face of the earth. And Jonathan made a covenant with the house of David saying, may the Lord take vengeance on David's enemies. And Jonathan made David swear again by his love for him, for he loved him as his own soul. What, what's happening here? Jonathan, what Jonathan says is, may the Lord be with you as he has been with my father. Meaning, when the covenant was placed on Saul, when he was still God's king. He, he's saying, I acknowledge you as king. Yeah. He's, he's telling the shepherd boy, may God's anointing rest on you. May, may the Lord be with you. And then he makes this, he says this, do this if I'm still alive. Question, if he's still alive, when what? If he's still alive, when David becomes king. So, so there, two times in a row, Jonathan has acknowledged that David is going to become king. And then here is, here is his request. Do not cut off your steadfast love or your hased. Do not cut off your steadfast love from my house forever. What's he asking here? Okay, you guys still with me? Yeah. I know this is a long text. We, got, we still got a long way to go. Think with me. What's he asking of David? Well, when one monarchy would take over the other, what would happen? They would slaughter them all. They would line up the family. So David takes over and the opposing hierarchical family, like all of them die. 
And who would especially him want to die, right? Jonathan. He he's, has to kill Jonathan because right now Jonathan is the rightful heir to the throne once Saul dies. So what Jonathan just said to David is, I believe you are God's anointed king, and I am placing myself at your mercy. Do not cut off my house and my house forever. So what is Jonathan afraid of? Here, Jonathan's afraid. If he wasn't afraid, he wouldn't be asking. What's David afraid of? David's afraid of Saul. (laughs) Jonathan here is afraid of, of David because he knows the power of God's word. And Jonathan sees him himself as potentially standing in the way. And he wants to make sure, dead sure, clear, 110% clear that he is not going to stand in the way of God's anointed. What has Saul done at every turn? Tried to stand in the way of God's anointed. And what Jonathan is saying is absolutely not. I place my trust in God. I have healthy fear, righteous fear, good fear in God. And I will not stand in the way of God's anointed. Jonathan is rightly afraid of David. This is a good fear. The kingdom is supposed to go to Jonathan, but this good fear is motivating Jonathan to do the right thing by first acknowledging that David is the future king and not himself, and by second asking his protection from the future king. Again, you got to get this. Look at it from a human perspective. Take a step back. Here is the prince, the prince with the comfort, the power, and authority And he is asking safe passage from the rebel shepherd boy. It looks silly from a human perspective. Unless you believe and know that God is sovereign and what God says is going to happen. If God said David's going to be king, guess what? David's going to be king. And so it makes absolute sense. If you're taking notes, healthy fear causes you to see the world with proper perspective. Jonathan here has proper perspective. If we're looking at it from a human standpoint, we're like, why is the prince asking this guy for safe passage? I mean, really, what authority does this little shepherd boy who just got kicked out of the kingdom, like, I mean, what? But when we see things through the sovereign lens of God, when we understand God's power, when we understand God's word, that is what helps us have proper perspective on the world. Verse 18, then Jonathan said, tomorrow is the new moon and you will be missed and your seat will be empty on the third day. Go down quickly to the place where you hid yourself when the matter was at hand and remain beside the stone heap. And I will shoot three arrows to the side of it as though I was shooting at a mark. And behold, I will send the boy saying, go find the arrows and say to the boy, look, the arrows on the other side of you, take them, uh, then you are to come. As for the Lord lives, it is safe and is no, there is no danger. Verse 22, but if I say to the youth, look, the arrows are beyond, then go for the Lord has sent you away. And as for the matter of which you and I have spoken, behold, the Lord is between you and me forever. This is an amazing, amazing conclusion to, to this plan. And so uh, obviously the, the, they're establishing some type of signal. They don't know if it's going to be safe for them to talk. They're not sure who's going to be around or what's going on. So they establish a spot for David to hide. They establish a signal. He's going to yell at, at his squire boy, you know, the arrows are close or no, the arrows are beyond. And that's going to let him know either to go or, or to stay. And the whole uh, verse, this whole section in verse 23 concludes, and as the matter of which I have spoken, behold, the Lord is between you and I. What, what matter is he speaking of? Well, the matter of David becoming king. What trust Jonathan is so confident in the Lord that David is going to be king? Is Jonathan afraid of Saul? No. (laughs) Now, again, has he seen his dad, you know, like be a little crazy, throwing spears and losing his mind? He knows he's about to go into this feast and kind of play out this lie and, and deceit. So does he have reason to be afraid? Yes, but but he is not afraid. You see, our children in the same way should never be afraid that we're going to abuse them physically or verbally. That, that should never be a fear in the heart of our children, but our children do need a healthy fear of our good and godly discipline. In the same way, we need to fear God. We need to fear God. 
not because we are afraid that God is going to forsake us, not because we are afraid that God is going to leave us or unchristian us. That's it. You're off the team. You've made me too mad. You didn't read your Bible. You didn't pray. And I know you didn't tithe. Forget it. You're out. This is not the attitude of God. This is not the heart of God. So we do not fear God in the sense that he is going to disown us, forsake us, or listen, church family, I speak into Christians. We need not fear that God is going to pour out his wrath on us. I, I guess God's just mad at me. God, I mean, I, that's, that's why I got a flat tire. God's mad at me. That's why I lost my job. You know, God's mad at me. Church family, that is so anti-gospel. The wrath of God was poured out on Jesus on the cross. And so we, we don't live in fear as Christians. We don't live in fear that God's wrath is coming for us. We, we know that that wrath has been poured out on Christ. And by faith on him, that wrath passes over us. But we do need to fear God in the sense that we fear his good, right, loving, godly, fatherly discipline. In that same, in that same way. Moving on, verse 24, so David hid himself in the field, and when the new moon came, <clears throat> the king sat down to eat food. Listen, I love this. The king sat on his seat, as at other times, on the seat by the wall. King Saul is one of those guys who always sits with his back to the wall. One of those guys. I don't know any of those type guys. Jonathan sat... <laughs> That's funny. Jonathan sat opposite, <laughs> and Abner sat by Saul's side, uh, but David's place was empty. And yet Saul uh, did not say anything that day, for he thought, something has happened to him. He is not clean. Surely he is not clean. But on the second day, the day after the new moon, David's place was empty. And Saul said to Jonathan, his son, why has the son of Jesse not come to the meal? You, you can just really get the contempt and hatred that Saul really has for David. He doesn't even say his name. That, that son of Jesse is what he says. Why has the son of Jesse not come to the meal either yesterday or today? Jonathan answered Saul, David earnestly asked leave of me to go to Bethlehem. He said, let me go for our clan holds a sacrifice in the city and my brother has commanded me to, to go there. Now, this part wasn't in the original script. It kind of seems like Jonathan's making this up on the fly as he's kind of put on the spot by terrifying, scary Saul. So now if I have found favor in your eyes, let me get away and see my brothers. For this reason, <clears throat> he has not come to the king's table. It's interesting that Saul believes the reason David is not there is because he's ceremonially unclean. Like he's, he's touched a dead animal or something like that. It hasn't dawned on Saul that the reason David's not there is because Saul is trying to kill him. <laughs> uh, let's see, last time he was here, I threw a spear at his head. Then I sent a hit squad after him. Then I sent three groups of kidnappers to kidnap him. Uh, yeah, he's not here because he's unclean. <laughs> Do you see how fear that leads to anger can be blinding. Let me say that again. Fear, okay, that leads to anger can be incredibly, incredibly blinding. Saul is scared to death of David. He's terrified of David. He's the king. He has all the power. He has all the comfort, yet he is terrified of this little shepherd boy. Saul's fear is causing him to have poor judgment, right? Somewhere in Saul's twisted mind, he believes he's going to pull one over on God, like he's going to be able to trick God or, or find some way to, to make sure David is not king when God has already said David is going to be king. The prophet has clearly and firmly and squarely and straightly told Saul, you done, son. Your kingdom is over with. You are going to be moving on. If you're, if you're taking notes, listen to this. Many people are driven by unhealthy fear, but are unaware due to a lack of healthy self-reflection. I want you to think about that. So many people are driven by fear, unhealthy fear. Not a healthy fear of God, 
not a healthy fear of, of, of wanting to live a godly life, but they're driven by unhealthy fear. The problem is they don't know it. Why? Because they lack the discipline of self-reflection. See, we, we live in a world where you can stream anything all the time. You, 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 can, you can swipe your Instagram feed until you pass out. You can sit on Facebook for hours. You, you, you can be constantly inundated with information and stuff and movies and toys and books and gadgets and clothes and cars. And, and for some reason, this, for this generation has lost its ability to sit and silently reflect and really understand what's going on in our hearts. Church family, I, I believe that so many of us are, are not just physically unhealthy, but we're emotionally unhealthy because we fail to learn this art. I am, <laughs> I'm not speaking to you as someone who has all of this figured out, but I am speaking to you as someone who has been on this long journey uh, over the last several years of trying to discover and walk in what it means to be emotionally healthy. When I planted this church, and, and as the stress of being a pastor and planting uh, began to press down on me, what happened is it drew out all of the terrible things on the inside, <laughs> almost as if the Lord was putting me through the refiner's fire, and what was rising to the top was all of the ugly and terrible things I had tried to suppress, and a lot of those things I didn't even know were there. And I found myself in a deep, dark place where I was not emotionally healthy at all, just like Saul. And so I'm speaking specifically to the men now. Men, we must take a step towards emotional health. Meaning this, we must ask these questions. What am I feeling? We, we, we've been sold this pack of lies to where men don't have feelings. That, that is baloney. Okay? That, that is untrue. Men have just as many feelings as women do. We just experience them in a very different way. Men, we must take time to reflect on ourselves and understand what, what, is it that I'm, what is it that I'm feeling? We must then ask this question, why am I feeling it? We begin self-reflection by saying, what is it that I'm feeling? Next, why am I feeling it? Third, how does this affect my attitude and my actions? Fourthly, how does this line up with the truth of the gospel? This is what we must do, men. We must take this journey. We must take this step to begin asking these real questions. What, what am I feeling? I, I guess I'm feeling lonely. Why am I feeling that? Well, because I've been abandoned by people. Well, um, the, the, the third question, how does this affect my attitude and my actions? Well, I'm kind of being a jerk to people. I'm, I'm, I'm kind of pulling away even further from people. Well, how does this line up with the gospel? Well, the, the gospel says that Jesus loves you, will never leave you, never forsake you, so therefore you're not alone. Therefore, you don't have to pull away and withdraw. You can't have deep, intimate relationships with people without fear of them hurting you. Why? Because Jesus is going to be with you and walk with you every step of the way. I long, I long for a church filled with spiritually healthy men and emotionally healthy men. And Saul is a, a picture of neither of those things. Verse 30. Then Saul's anger was kindled against Jonathan, and he said to him, You son of a perverse and rebellious woman. <laughs> Mr. Pottymouth. Do I know that uh, don't I know that you have chosen the son of Jesse to your own shame and to the shame of your mother's nakedness? Uh, basically meaning, you know, they, they didn't have like throwaway gowns when you had babies back then like we do now. So like the woman would be naked when giving birth. And so basically he's saying like to the shame of your mom giving birth to you. You shouldn't have been born is what he's saying. For as long as the son of Jesse lives on the earth, listen, to, this, is, this is the heart of why Saul is so terrified and therefore angry. This is it right here. For as long as the son of Jesse lives on the earth, neither you nor your kingdom shall be established. 
What is he afraid of? He is afraid of losing his power, his control, and his prestige. He's afraid of losing the kingdom. That's what he's terrified of. He's, he's so terrified of that. And because he's so afraid of it, that fear has now transformed into just raw anger. And maybe next time you get really angry, next time you're about to fly off the handle, you stop and ask yourself, what am I afraid of? Because that's probably the source of your anger is actually, actually fear. Therefore, send him, bring him to me, for he shall surely die. Verse 32. Then Jonathan answered Saul, his father, why should he be put to death? What has he done? But Saul hurled his spear at him to strike him. This is this guy's MO. I mean, he just, he gets mad and he throws stuff. It's like, why don't somebody take the spear away from the guy? Okay. Like, do we just need to appoint somebody in the kingdom? It's like, dude, you got one job. Just keep spears away from him. That's all you got to do. Like, that's your job, man. Somebody, somebody needs to be given that job. So Jonathan knew that his father was determined to put David to death. And Jonathan rose from the table in fierce anger and ate no food the second day of the month, for he was grieved for David because his father had disgraced him. Now, <clears throat> this is, again, the heart of, of what's going on. This is why he fears David. Why does he fear David? He fears David because he is a threat to his comfort, his power, and his prestige. So really, he fears losing those exact things. Saul here is clearly angry, but the source of his anger is actually fear. Fear. Now, what is so insane about this is that he is yelling at Jonathan, right? You son of a perverse woman. It'd be better if you'd never been born. Don't you understand? We have to kill David. Why? So your kingdom will be established. Two seconds later, he's trying to kill him. It's, it's insane. It's irrational. It doesn't make any sense at all. If you're taking notes, unhealthy fear robs you of reason. This is irrational and unreasonable what he does. It's all about you and your kingdom. Don't you understand? Don't you understand, Jonathan? Don't you get it? And he's like, what has David done? Oh, that's it. You know, and then he's, he's going for the spear. It, it doesn't, it is so irrational. I want to ask you this morning, have you ever flown off the handle? <laughs> this is rhetorical. This is rhetorical. No, it doesn't have to be rhetorical. We're honest here. Amen. Amen. We're not here to play church. Have you ever flown off the handle? Have you ever acted in a totally irrational way, totally blown things out of portion and went way overboard? Most likely behind the anger and irrationality was fear. See, I've done some really stupid things. My wife just said amen. <laughs> I've said some really stupid things. And now looking back, I see that so many of them were linked to fear that I had yet to apply the gospel to. Church family, if, if we want to walk in godly fear with, with rationality and reason, with the world in right perspective, we must apply the gospel to unreasonable and irrational fears. That's what we must do. Now, again, it doesn't really seem like Saul is loving life. <laughs> It seems like he's having a really, really bad uh, years, months. I wonder if you think that Saul is excited to get out of bed in the morning. Absolutely not. Saul is feared with so, filled with so much fear that he is absolutely miserable and also making everyone else around him miserable. So often, uh, Chelsea and I, we, we counsel people in our living room and we find that they are bitter and frustrated and angry. And it all seems to stem back to fear of losing something they think that they cannot live without. You see, what if I lose the house? What if I lose the car? What if I lose my job? What if my parents don't approve of how I'm raising my kids? See, we, we all have these fears that are there that are speaking to us. And we must grab hold of the gospel and apply the gospel to them. If you're taking notes, unhealthy fear robs you of joy. Unhealthy fear robs you of joy. My prayer is that you would reclaim your joy today by saying goodbye to unhealthy fear. Well, let me read this last little section and I'll be out of your hair. In the morning, Jonathan went out into the field <clears throat> to the appointment with David and with him a little boy, and he said to his boy, run and find the arrows 
that I shoot. As the boy ran, he shot an arrow beyond him. I guess Jonathan failed the hunter safety course. He shouldn't do that. And when the boy came to the place of the arrow that Jonathan had shot, Jonathan called after the boy and said, Is not the arrow beyond you? And Jonathan called after the boy, Hurry, be quick, do not stay. So Jonathan's boy gathered up the arrows and came to his master. But the boy knew nothing, only Jonathan and David knew the matter. And Jonathan gave his weapons to the boy and said to him, Go and carry them into the city. And as soon as the boy had gone, David rose from beside the stone heap and fell on his face to the ground and bowed three times. And they kissed one another and wept with one another, David weeping the most. I'm going to make a guess and say probably because he felt so deeply that Jonathan was losing so much. He was losing the kingdom and also his relationship with his father. Then David, or then Jonathan said to David, go in peace because we have sworn both of us in the name of our Lord, saying the Lord shall be between me and you and between my offspring and your offspring forever. And he rose and departed and Jonathan went into the city. In this really tearful exchange, these two best friends will only see each other one more time and it will just be for a brief moment. This is the last time that, that these two friends actually get to see one another. And you see Jonathan walking in this place of proper fear and godly fear. He's not afraid. How do, how do we know he's not afraid? What did he do with his weapons? He gave them to the boy and sent the boy away. He's, he's no longer afraid. Why? Because he has come into covenant with the future king. That's why he's not afraid. He made a covenant, a promise with the future coming king, and so he has no need of his weapons. He, he's, he's free to, to hand them off. Family, if you make a covenant with the king, that is Jesus, you can have no reason to have fear. What's incredible is to see the emotion expressed here that they kissed one another and wept. I, I wonder if you find this display of affection a, a bit over the top. These two best friends weeping on one another and, and kissing one another. Church family, I'm, I'm not ashamed to tell you that I have kissed and wept with men in this room. Most among them, my dad, who is here with us. I want every man to know this type of friendship. There was no fear, no fear between them, and really no fear to even display this type of affection. No fear that someone would say that they were being soft or didn't matter. They were, they were without fear. Again, I'll close by saying this. We must learn to only fear the things that are actually scary. We must look to our great example, the great example of Jesus Christ. Jesus did not fear the Jewish leaders. He was not afraid of them. They tried to capture him. They tried to kill him. But Jesus was not afraid of the Jewish authorities. In addition, Jesus was not afraid of the Roman government. He was not in the least bit scared of what the Roman government could do to him. Absolutely not. Jesus did not fear the pain of the flogging. He did not fear the pain of the cross. But in the garden, Jesus was deeply distressed or fearful to the point of sweating blood. So what was Jesus afraid of? Jesus feared the moments where he would be taking on the sin of the world. Jesus feared the moments when the wrath of the Father would be poured out onto him. He feared those moments when the Father would turn his face away. I say to you, losing your job is not that scary. Not having the approval of your coworkers, not that scary. Not buying your kids all the toys that all the other kids have, not that scary. Nothing to be afraid of. Staying single longer than other people your age, not that scary. Nothing to be afraid of. All of that is not that scary. Here is what is terrifying. To live a wasted life, that's terrifying. To live a wasted life. To live a life out of step with God, that's terrifying. To live a life that is all about you, 
that terminates on you, that, friends, is terrifying. To spend your whole life building up things that will only pass away, that is scary. Building your whole life to get a better house and a better car and better clothes to impress friends that you don't even like. That is terrifying. To come to the end, to come to the end of your life and realize, what was all of it for? What was all of this for? They're going to bulldoze your house one day. All of your clothes are going to end up in the dump. Your cars, your motorcycles, your trinkets, your, your bass boat, all of your stuff is going to end up on a trash heap. And what will it all be for? What will it all be for? See, the most terrifying thing is to live a wasted life, to live a life in fear of things that aren't actually scary. That is truly terrifying. Let's pray. Oh, Lord, that we would live a life with proper fear, that we would be scared of the things that are worth being scared of, like a wasted life, like a broken marriage, like kids that don't know you. Those things, those things are worth being scared of, and, and actually being motivated by that fear is, is actually a good thing. But Lord, let us not be motivated by fear that is ungodly, that is unholy, that is unrighteous. Lord, I pray this morning that we would begin to gain proper perspective about what life is for and what life is about. Lord, I pray that we would never live self-centered lives that only terminate on ourselves, but we would realize that there is a kingdom out there, that the future king, the coming king, the reigning king Jesus has come and he has established his kingdom. And now we have this great opportunity to be a part of building something that's bigger than ourselves, that's beyond ourselves, that's bigger than our own houses and cars and clothes and that souls are what you long for. Souls are what you are after. And we have the opportunity to be a part of building an eternal and forever kingdom. And so Lord, let perfect love cast out fear. Let perfect love cast out unhealthy, unnecessary, irrational fears. And let us be consumed by godly fears that motivate us to godly lives. I pray all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening. Feel free to share the contents of this podcast, but please do not alter it in any way without permission. Please like, follow, and subscribe to us on Facebook or iTunes. Visit gospelcc.com for more content like this. At Gospel Community Church, our mission is to know the Bible, share life with others, and bring hope to our city and the world. Thanks again and have a blessed day.